0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. I know, I've talked about pride several times, but we are celebrating it for an entire month here in our country. So today, I wanna talk about pride one more time, and I wanna do so within the context of humiliation. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln actually declared a day of humiliation? Rather than one of pride? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning, and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Thank you for your loyalty. Today's topic is pride and humiliation. I want to talk about pride and humility. I want to talk about our month long celebration of pride once again, and I want to do so within the context of the history of our nation which has had a repeated proclamation and celebration, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word, but it has been made an official day on our calendar, and that is a day of humiliation. It goes back to Abraham Lincoln and even before that. So today I'm going to share with you again my concerns over the celebration of pride, the fact that it is one of the seven deadly sins, I want to, I'm scratching my head a bit and asking myself a question as well as you, the listeners. Why are we celebrating this? Why do we put it on our calendar for an entire month? Oh, the sexual debate aside, I mean, we know that it's Pride Month, and therefore we're celebrating sexual nihilism. Live and let live. Do what you want. The fake and false label of love is love. Because it's really a not, a not about love, not as the Apostle Paul defines it anyway. It's about your sexual freedom. We're celebrating that under the banner of pride. Pride for an entire month. Why in the world are we doing this? And will there be consequences, negative consequences, for elevating this? This. This. The sin above all other sins. The the vice that leads to all others. The complete anti-God state of mind. I'm quoting others now. You know I did that in previous shows. Pride. When we have a history as a nation of calling ourselves to prayer. And, quote-unquote, humiliation. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. This is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Last week I went over some uh, quotes, if you will, from the sages of the ages. A lot of them were quotes from the Bible. Now, when I did this, I didn't even mention the sexual debate. I just focused on what the people that have gone before us have said about pride. Now, it's interesting, when I wrote an article for the Washington Times doing the same thing, and I'm going to go through that with you right now, some of the first responses were, you're a terrible human being. You're attacking LGBTQ. What's wrong with you? Um, Of course, of course, you're cloaking it in your biblical language, your worship of a big fake god in the sky. Just keep your religion out of our lives. Stop trying to impose your views on the rest of the country. All of these are fallacious arguments. Why, when I write about pride, does everybody jump to the conclusion that I'm writing about sex? Well, I'm not the one who conflated the two. And just because I'm quoting the Bible, which has been proven over and over again throughout the course of human history to be accurate and true, Does that mean I'm trying to impose it on all of culture, and does that mean I'm calling for a theocracy? No. And if you don't like what I'm saying, then don't read it. If you don't like what I'm saying on this show, then turn it off. I mean, the fallacious arguments that come from the left on this kind of stuff, just crazy. But that aside, we could cover that on another show in greater detail, I suppose. You know we're entering into the last two weeks of June, and You know that June is officially designated as Pride Month on our national calendar. And you know that on previous shows, I've talked about this, and I have a couple questions related to an entire 30 days being dedicated to the celebration of Pride. Again, I'm not the one who put it on the calendar. I'm not the one who has elevated it. I'm not the one who created a flag celebrating Pride. You know... The most basic question I have is this. Is pride a good thing? Is pride a virtue? Is it wise for an entire culture to celebrate something that's traditionally been considered the quintessential vice? Vice. I'll say it one more time. A vice, not a virtue. In fact, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. I've talked about how that goes back to the 600s. And Pope Gregory and the church officially Identifying the seven virtues and the seven deadly sins. And pride was among the seven deadly sins. We know this. History tells us that. Now, why did we do that? When I I try to answer this question, I like to consider the lessons of history. Again, the quadrilateral. Experience, reason, history, i.e., tradition and then revelation as the trump card and evaluating ideas. So I want to go back to the lessons of history. And I'd like to know, like I just said, do the sages of the ages have anything to teach us about people and cultures that celebrate pride? Well, just do a Google search, okay? (laughs) Uh, You don't even have to resort to the old-fashioned method of learning, i.e., picking up a, a book and reading it. <laughs> you That's a good thing to do, I might add. But all you have to do is do a Google search, and you'll see that the people that have gone before us, like I said, the sages of the ages, the wise men and women who have written and spoken to the issues of mankind as it relates to how we get along with each other and how we get along with God, they do have a little bit. In fact, they have quite a bit to say about pride. They have a lot to say about pride. I gave you a sampling last week. Israel's King David said a lot about pride. And remember that King David was identified as a man after God's own heart. So this man after God's own heart, as described in the Bible, King David, a broken man, Far from a perfect man, but one after God's own heart. That's quite an attribute, isn't it? May each of us be identified by others as people after God's own heart. This is what King David said. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts with pride. David went on and said this, "...for the wicked, the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul." In the pride of his face, all his thoughts are there is no God. Who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart? God will not endure, nor will he. That's King David. Now his son, Solomon, reportedly the wisest man of his time. Wisdom and Solomon go hand in hand. Solomon said this, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech God hates. Everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Solomon goes on further. He says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's Solomon. Well, I could go on and on. He's got a lot more to say about it. We just don't have time. Now, what else? Are there people even before Solomon and David that said anything about this? Well, yeah, the prophet Isaiah warned The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. The Lord of hosts has purposed it, to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. This is Isaiah. He says this, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Excuse me. Lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah's being pretty clear, as most prophets are. Now, is there anything Older than that? Well, yeah. Some people say that Job is the most ancient of all books. Some theologians and scholars will tell you that. The book of Job. What do we read there? Well, God sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So we see repeated reference to pride being a pretty negative thing. If you want to go into the New Testament, James, who's argued to be the earthly brother of Jesus, was was very clear when he said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's James. Peter, the rock upon which the church was built. Christ promised that he would build his church on this rock, Petros, Peter. That's why he changed his name. Jesus changed his name. To Peter, Peter, the rock, the foundation, the corner. No, not the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. But Jesus promised that Peter, the rock, would be with him as the foundation of the church. Peter says this, "...clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble." Paul, standing right there with Peter, said this. And By the way, this is, I would argue, opposite of all the love is love nonsense. And don't get all over my case and say, there you go, now you're getting into sex. I'm not getting into sex. I'm staying on the topic of pride and love right now. What is love? I mean, I hear love is love. I... I didn't think love was synonymous, synonymous with sex. I thought that we loved a lot of people that we don't have sex with. And in fact, I hope that that's still the case. So when you talk about love is love, and Paul disagreed with that. He said love is not arrogant. It is not self-centered. Okay, it's not proud. And then Paul went on and said we can't be haughty in our own eyes. Never be haughty or wise in your own sight, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Close quote. Love is not love. Love is not arrogant. It's not self-centered. It doesn't elevate yourself to be something because when you do that, you're really nothing. And you're deceiving yourself. Does that sound like maybe that's part and parcel of this pride movement? Well, moving out of the New Testament to the scholars of the early church, Thomas Aquinas added Pride is so called because a man aims higher than he is. Again, you're thinking you're something when you're not. Man aims higher than he is. He who wishes to overstep what he is is proud. And I mentioned that the book Sirach, which Jews have traditionally included as very important reading. Wasn't, it wasn't canonized, but it's a very important book, one that's worthwhile. Pride is like a fountain pouring out sin, says the book of Sirach, and whoever persists in it is full of wickedness. Chaucer said the root of all these seven sins, pride, is the general root of all harms. Augustine proclaimed pride despises the more just dominion of a higher authority. The economist Friedrich von Hayek said that pride is the fatal conceit on the road to, free, to serfdom. Forgive me for that. Pride is the fatal conceit on the road to serfdom. You want to be a servant? You want to be controlled? The fatal conceit that will bring serfdom upon all of humanity is pride. And then you have C.S. Lewis summarizing a lot of everything I've just read when he said, He who is proud would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. If none of that is good enough for anyone listening or reading my stuff, then let's go to Jesus Most people, even if you deny Christianity, will say that Jesus was a very wise sage. What does Jesus have to say about all this? Well, he's pretty clear, too. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's pretty clear that he's saying, would you guys stop it? Stop exalting yourselves. You'll be humbled one way or another, So you might want to consider humility, humbling yourself, because that's when you're actually exalted. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So I argue this. If there's any hope left for our nation, it's in the remnant who are right now on their knees in confession and humility, praying for forgiveness rather than celebrating their pride. If there's any hope left, it's in the remnant. I pray that the story of Lot and Abraham, where Abraham pleads that Lot and the city of Sodom be saved if they can find just a remnant of righteous people. You know, you know the story. Abraham starts out by pleading, "If, if there are fifty, will you, pres- will you withhold your hand, God, from your judgment of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah?" And the angel says, "Yeah." This is a Piper paraphrase, obviously. And Abraham, realizing that, well, I don't know if there are fifty there, says, "How about forty? How about thirty? How about twenty? How about..." Fifteen? How about ten? Abraham keeps whittling it down, and the answer is yes. I'll withhold my hand if there is if there are just ten. But apparently there weren't even that many. So the only hope I think we have left, as a culture, as a country, as a nation, is in that remnant. May there be fifty. Maybe there. Maybe may there be twenty. May there be fifteen or ten that are on their knees. In humility, in humility, praying for forgiveness rather than celebrating their pride or anyone else's. Now, for everybody who's saying, oh, he's focused on the LGBTQ issue again. Ah, no, not necessarily. Oh, is that part of this problem? Sure, it is. The LGBT people are the ones who have chosen pride as their moniker. We're loud and we're proud. Again, I'm not the one who chose that. But regardless of the sexual issue, the celebration of being loud and proud strikes me as rather odd. When we have a history as a nation, we have a history of a nation, as a nation of entering into days of humiliation rather than months of pride. In 1775, Congress issued a proclamation recommending the observance of a day of fasting and public humiliation, public humiliation and prayer for the colonies. The declaration was distributed to all the towns of the American colonies. Well, why? The goal was to pray for the civil and religious rights and privileges. Religious freedom, that was the point. A day of humiliation and prayer. You know, the interesting thing is there was broad participation. There wasn't resentment. There wasn't a a cry that the colonies were trying to create a theocracy because everybody knew that that wasn't the case, that it was the opposite. They were trying to get away from... Government directed religion. They were here, the people were in the colonies in great measure because they wanted religious freedom. So a lot of people participated in this day of humiliation and prayer. George Washington called for a day of fasting and humiliation and prayer in 1779. He asked his soldiers to engage in that. Oh, he's imposing his religion on everybody. No, he wasn't. I'm sure, as history shows us, that nobody was shot or hung for treason if they didn't participate in that. But a lot of people did. A lot of the soldiers just stopped all their activities on that day for one day and participated in fasting and prayer. Humiliation, being humble before God. Um, In 1798, President, Second President of the United States, John Adams, he revived this tradition of a day of humiliation. In fact, they called it a solemn day of humiliation fasting and prayer, where the citizens, everybody, would stop and show their humble spirits, their humility, their humiliation before God. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln wrote to the Senate, and he said that the country had to observe a day of humiliation, fasting and prayer, Our country was falling apart. It was being rent in two. So this was a plea to God, essentially, in humiliation, not pride, in humiliation, that we become more contrite and spiritual and devoted to the God who had given us the freedom that we were enjoying in the first place. This, this is what I want, the, this proclamation for a day of humiliation is the way I'm going to end this show. I'm going to read part of it. Here it is. And again, this is 1863, and it's not the first time, but it's the most explicit. An official proclamation by the President of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. Whereas a joint committee of both houses of Congress has waited on the President of the United States and requested him to recommend a day of public humiliation, prayer, and fasting, to be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnities and the offering of fervent supplications to Almighty God, for the safety and welfare of these states, his blessings on their arms and a speedy restoration of peace. And whereas it is fit and becoming in all people at all times to acknowledge and to revere the supreme government of God, to bow in humble submission to his chastisements, to confess and deplore their sins and transgressions in the full conviction that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to pray with all fervency and contrition for the pardon of their past offenses and for a blessing upon their present and prospective action. And whereas, when our own beloved country, once by the blessing of God, united, prosperous and happy, is now afflicted with faction and civil war, it is peculiarly fit For us to recognize the hand of God in this terrible vestation and in sorrowful remembrance of our own faults and crimes as a nation and as individuals to humble ourselves before him and to pray for his mercy, to pray that we may be spared further punishment, though most justly deserved, that our arms may be blessed and made effectual in the reestablishment of law, order, and peace throughout the wide extent of our country, and that the inestimable boon of civil and religious liberty, earned under his guidance and blessing by the labors and suffering of our fathers, may be restored in all its original excellence. Therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States of America, do appoint the last Thursday in September next, a day of humiliation, prayer and fasting for all the people of the nation. And I do earnestly recommend to all the people, and especially to all ministers and teachers of religion, of all denominations, and to all heads of families, to observe and keep that day according to their several creeds and modes of worship, in all humility and with all religious solemnity. To the end that the united prayer of the nation may ascend to the throne of grace and bring down plentiful blessings upon our country. In testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed this 12th day of August, A.D. 1861, and the independence of the United States of America. Abraham Lincoln and William Seward was the Secretary of State right at that time. As together, they crafted the statement and issued it to the nation. It's called Proclamation 85, proclaiming a day of humiliation. Pride goeth before a fall. Pride despises the more just dominion of a higher authority. Pride is the fatal conceit and the road to serfdom. Pride is like a fountain pouring out sin, and whoever persists in it is full of wickedness. Pride is so called because a man aims higher than he is. He who wishes to overstep what he is is proud. Pride. Pride would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Maybe we should be entering into a month of humiliation rather than celebrating 30 consecutive days of arrogance and pride. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.